Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Hey, this is John Acuff, the um, very, very temporary host of the Dave Hollis show. It's not even what it's called. It's not even called that, but I always think of it as the Dave Hollis show. Whenever somebody has words in front of their podcast name, I think I'm just going to call it your name because I like your name and I like Dave's name. And Dave and I have been friends for a while. It's been super fun to connect with him online a billion times. He's come to my house. We just had dinner with my wife and our good friend, Annie Downs, recently in Nashville, where everybody moves to. You move to Austin or Nashville. Dave chose Austin. You can decide how I feel about that decision. But he said, you know, it'd be really fun as I work to get back onto the social media space, as I get back out into the world, as I get back into podcasting, as I get back into creating ideas that I share publicly, it'd be super fun to have a conversation with you about that, John, with you about the process of the last five years, all the ups, the downs, everything. Um, If you've listened to this podcast, ever, just a single episode, you know, he's super vulnerable, super honest, super funny. And so he said, Hey, would you come have like a 45 minute, super honest, super funny, super vulnerable conversation with me? And I said, I a hundred percent will. That sounds like a lot of fun as long as I can do my own intro. And so he was like, it's going to be a little weird that you do your own intro because it's not even your show. And I was like, it's a Dave Hollis show. And he's like, it has a different name called like rise together into the ashes of a Phoenix. And I was like, it's too long of a name. I'm going to call it the Dave Hollis show. So ladies and gentlemen, this is John Acuff. Um, and I am joined on his own podcast, the Dave Hollis show by none other than Dave Hollis. Dave, thank you for joining me on your show. Welcome to rise together. My name is Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience, Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together. Oh, hey, John, thank you for having me on my show. I appreciate, uh, well, I appreciate you. Uh, I love our humor, but uh, more than anything, I was just in a meeting and uh, someone said, what do you have next? Can you just hang out and stay? I said, no, I have John Acuff. And they're like, oh, what's he like? And I said, he's a friend that leaves messages on your actual phone voicemail and not like riffy jokes, but actual like, hey, buddy, I'm checking on you. Uh, hey, buddy, just this reminder that uh, God doesn't care about that thing you're worrying about. Hey, buddy, uh, yeah. I was thinking about you in this way, and uh, that's the thing that you value in good friendship, and uh, I've just come to appreciate you so stinking much, man, so thank you. I appreciate you saying that, and it's it's fun to do that. I know it's kind of old-fashioned. I might as well be telegramming you, like, Titanic sinks, Dave Hollis trying to encourage you, so I understand that. 
but I love doing it and I love connecting with you. Um, we get to encourage each other a lot. And so Dave, I think my first question as we kind of jump into this conversation is you took some time off from social media, which is nobody does that anymore. And if they do it, they write like a nine volume book about the things I learned in nine days of not being on TikTok, as like they've come down from the top of the mountain, like Moses, but you've been off for a period of time. What, you know, what encouraged you to be off during that period of time, looking back at it. And now as you kind of go into it with new eyesight of, okay, I'm a, I create ideas publicly and I love to help people with their life. And in order to do that, I share those ideas publicly. What have you learned? What inspired it? Where are you at today on this Tuesday? Yeah. So it's interesting. I just put up uh, the first post that I've put up in four months over the weekend. I read it all legs, all legs. And you know, it was smart. You were like, I don't want, I want people like I want to play it over strength and I got great hams. Look like, at these legs. Legs for days. So yeah. I'm going to throw these legs up. I know that wasn't your process, but I was like, look at him. Like such a tally move. A shorter guy like myself. Couldn't do it. I throw my no legs. Couldn't I'm do not it. lean with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wish I wish that it weren't that I absolutely had to. Uh, but I absolutely had to because there just have been so many things. Yes, in the last five years, but man, the last six months have been the craziest, the the most important, the hardest, the best. Like uh, I've found more of myself, certainly in 2022, you know, since I have stepped away, since I went into treatment, since I came out and have been uh, moving at just a, an unbelievably slower pace and more intentionally deliberate with the people that mean the most in my life. Um, and social media has been certainly the last, you know, three and a half, four years after leaving corporate and moving into um, this bizarre world of being a more public figure. Um, it has been uh, really great and really strange uh, in that there was this thing that was happening certainly near the end where um, – I was feeling like I had to show up in ways that were disconnected from how I was feeling in the midst of really being in a dark place. And the, the way that that was then having me outside of social media, uh, feeling about myself was complicating and compounding, uh, just a bunch of darkness. And so, um, Needing to ultimately tend to my mental health was the impetus originally, and it's been great, but also I do miss the connection that existed with a community of people who have been through just so many ups and downs in the last, you know, the last five years have been the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And to like make a decision that protects me and this mental health that I prioritize and the family that I want to spend time with, but comes at the expense of some of that has, you know, it, it creates all kinds of feelings. And yet, um, as of today, like I know I'm not yet at a place where I'm totally certain that public figure dumb or social media mm-hmm. is a thing that serves my best interest, at least until I get to a place where I feel so comfortable just like being 100% honest 
all the time with wherever I'm at in real time and mm -hmm. have developed something of a resilience to the way that the criticism that comes out of certain pockets of the internet were uh, infiltrating the way I was thinking about myself. Like, I wish I could say that I was yeah. strong enough to uh, completely disregard uh, the way that certain people dude, were saying no. certain things. I just, I, I, I wasn't. And no, I'm not. no, dude, no one is. Like, that's the thing. Like, the, like, sometimes I think when people hear like, oh, troll, hater, whatever, there's like a, a mean lady named Laura at their job who said something on their Facebook page about their favorite thing. And like, that would be terrible. Like, but we're not talking about that. Like, there was like YouTube videos that were like, hey, I'm going to use whatever situations going on in this person's life to blow up blank or I'm going to like so. So I don't want to discount like it's not like you had a handful of people being mean like there's because of the size of your platform, you had that same scale of people that were on the opposite side. I think what's interesting. So five years before now, like, let's go back to Disney. You're a guy at Disney. You're you're an executive at Disney. You somehow inexplicably work on star wars slash don't like star wars like that is <laughs> insane to me and i'm still that's how great my heart is is that i still look past that i still see the man behind the mistakes about movies you do by the um, way find a way to weave this into literally yeah. every conversation yeah we have, it keeps it light i, I use it to break the tension that's a tension breaker dave it's star wars people like star wars so five years ago correct me if i'm wrong you don't have a public platform really, right? Like before things like we're talking just five years ago, no one, you're driving to work. No one knows it. You're doing your job. No one knows it. You're, you know, making mistakes at work. No one knows it. You're having victories at work. No one knows it. Five years ago, nobody knows you, correct? Yes. I mean, yeah. There, I mean, there was, there was something in a circle of Hollywood where I was working where, yeah, yeah. there was something in status around having a certain but, level of a job. But when it comes to the mom in Ohio, no, uh, there yeah. was no, there was nothing. And, and I think it's interesting because I, again, wouldn't change a thing. Like I wouldn't change a thing, even as I know the things that end up being super hard and painful in the journey that ends up coming. Mm -hmm. And some yeah. of the trade-offs that come in this transition from private to semi-public. Like, uh, let's yeah. not, like, you know, give me too much credit. Like, there's a wild population that has no concept of who I am, and that's just fine. Thank you very much. But yeah. it's, a, it's a thing that is, you know, like, you just don't have any concept of what it even could feel like or would feel like. Yeah. And that desire five years ago to, like, jump in was driven out of this hope that I might in doing work that felt like service or offering resources to people to help them have something good might make me feel something different than collecting money for movies, uh, which yeah. again, like it was a, it was an unbelievable job. Oh, it was amazing. It was yeah. an unbelievable job. And also I, at that 40th birthday had this existentially kind of thing, which was, is this all that it, is is this like why i'm here i mean like i know i've been given all kinds of gifts and i can certainly deploy them to help the walt disney company increase shareholder value uh but man it feels like there might be something more and so like part of that like hey let's make this leap was never about oh so that i can grow a public profile um 
it was, hey, there's the, the potential in jumping into work that might be about service um, that could create something in fulfillment or the ac actualization of uh, uh, potential that makes me feel something different when it comes to fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what has been so odd in like certainly the last handful of months or a decision to walk away from social for the time being is the like, huh, like, <laughs> and it's, this sounds very self-serving, but it is what it is. Like, man, my intention here has been to try and be something of a light. And, and maybe it's because of that interest that darkness, you know, attacks or is, you know, is, uh, a part of where like the criticism ends up being born out of, but it certainly wasn't something that I had even on the map when I was making the choice or frankly, along the journey, uh, even occurred to me as a thing to have to be conscientious of. Like how does somebody survive fast fame? Like, cause you're right. Like the, the terms we're talking in, if you're a semi-public, I am whatever is micro public, like, cause I had to do a long intro cause people were like, who's John Acuff. And I like, like, I'm good with that. Don't get me wrong. I want to help millions of people enjoy their gifts. That's my goal. So I'm, you know, I create things like when somebody says, I read your book, it, it helped me. I love hearing that, but like, so we're not talking like you're not Brad Pitt. You're, you're not, you know, like walking down the street and people are going crazy, but there's a huge like leap from nobody knows you to a percent of people do, even if it's 200,000 quarter million, like the town I grew up in had 15,000 people. So like, if you said you have a hundred thousand, 150,000 followers on Instagram, I'd be like, that's 10 times Hudson, Massachusetts. Yeah. Like that's a lot of, so can someone survive? Like, what are the, like, you didn't get trained in that. Like you didn't get, there's no, like they sit you down and go, Hey, real quick, you're going to immediately wrap your identity into the things you create. Cause that that's like day seven. And then the day 14, like criticism is going to feel like it's from your mom, even though it's from a guy named angry dragon heart, Allen four, eight, seven, like that's, but that's how you're going to receive it. So like, how does somebody survive a fast change in their life? Cause not everybody can relate to fast fame, but like, we go through changes with pandemic. We go through relationship changes. We go like looking back on it. What are some things where you'd go, oh man, yeah, I think here's here's where transition, like I think you need this when you go through a transition. Yeah, well, I mean, I will say uh, there's no way that uh, anyone can go through rocket ship speed transition without it having something in collateral damage because- um, the thing that happened in jumping into this entrepreneurial journey and creating something with Rachel at the Hollis company to have the next year and a half happen the way that it did was not like there was no business plan that said, OK, and then and then yeah. and then, you know, the sequence of events. There's happened. no Gandalf that comes alongside and is like, hey, I've done this. Here's how to. No. And so, you know, part of it was. um like we, we had to basically create this house as something of a shelter to keep us sane from, um, in some ways, almost like believing some of the hype because yeah. um, there was something that was just surreal and unreal about it. But there was, I, I've asked this question um, along the way. It was a question, by the way, that was frustrating, I think, for my ex-wife in that um, I, I, 
maybe end of 2018, beginning of 2019, started to worry that the speed with which things were happening was something that was going to potentially have our marriage end, was potentially mm -hmm. something that would change kind of who we are at our core, was something that might have an effect negatively on our kids. And so I would ask this question, we have this mastermind that we're a part of in three years in a row. I asked the same question, just because we can build this, should we, right? Like just because you can build a nuclear weapon, should you, just because we can, should we? And like when you're riding a wave, like that's a question, especially if you're the visionary who's finally actualizing this thing that they've been dreaming of forever and ever, that's not the question that anyone necessarily wants to entertain. But uh, I would ask it more out of like wanting to at least understand what trade-offs might end up happening if we actually had something work on the scale that things started to work. And, you know, like it was small things at first, you know, like mm -hmm. going to a grocery store and having someone come up to Rachel with some heavy trauma that uh, yeah, they wanted to tough. share as, you know, she's trying to buy cereal and one of our kids is, you know, standing there with her. Um, but, you know, there was a, there was a time where, Attending church was a thing that was, uh, you know, uh, a selfie opportunity at times for uh, a fan that made that experience feel different. And so, like, it was just like little incremental things that, as they were changing, were affecting some of the kind of simple pleasures of life. But the idea that, like, social media now creates access in the way that it does, and that we, because of some of the ways that we were engaging with just the greatest community on earth. Like we were doing a morning show every single yeah. morning, Monday through and Friday. And arenas at night. Yeah. Well, the, the crazy thing is like there was something in that connection that was so extraordinary because it was as much for us as I think it was for the, for the audience. And it created the sense of intimacy and the sense of friendship and the sense of, uh, you know, like knowing each other. And uh, in some ways, uh, I think that there's an impossibility to not have some of what ends up being the feedback that you get when things are positive, not affect the way that you think and feel about yourself. That becomes that double-edged sword that mm -hmm. in the aftermath of divorce, that was as surprising to me as I think it was, um, and heartbreaking and disappointing and frustrating um, as it was to this audience, that when the aftermath of the divorce then presents for almost the first time uh, some really negative feelings, and to me, like justifiably negative feelings, um, it was a shock to the system to now having been trained in feeling good about yourself when you're getting applause to allow, at least for me, and I, I won't speak for her, but at least for me, it was just like, oh my goodness, I want to try and go to literally every single person's house who has been frustrated or disappointed yeah. by the news of this divorce and give them a hug or reassure them that, uh, man, like, this wasn't the intention. There was no uh, like duplicitous rug pull plan. This wasn't a trick where you're trying to pull. Yeah. And yeah. yet like people are so entitled to their feelings. And again, I think it, like the reaction because of the intimacy that existed and the frequency that existed, like that reaction feels very justified and very normal to me. And at the same time, 
I like that was the beginning of me feeling for the first time like, oh man, there's something in this mix that's a little unhealthy, right? The speed with which some of the kind of the feedback in, oh man, this work is helping me or it's changing my life. The, you know, putting a, a stadium Had on- Had you gone to counseling before the five years? So if we're talking about the five years of like, the, I don't know what they're going to title this, but probably like John Acuff does an amazing job talking about the rise of Dave Hollis. I, whatever, just spitballing, if, <laughs> however your producer wants to do it. No, literally, before, no, no one, no one, by the way, is ever going to title anything the five years of the rise of Dave Hollis. But continue. I'm just saying with John Acuff, oh, yeah, it starts no. with John Acuff does an amazing job. But five years before this, had you gone to counseling? Had you done some heart work? Like, where are you on that? Did you have some tools? I'd gone to counseling in part because I couldn't understand why I'm the president of distribution at the Walt Disney Company, and I have this access to filmmakers like Steven Spielberg, and I'm working on Nuts. movies. Air like Bud. You Air, could adopt an Air Bud. Like Air you Bud, like Star Wars and Air Bud. And I'm not feeling the thing that you should feel. And, and like, the thing is like, you, you like say this out loud and it's like, break out the smallest violin possible. And I get it, but like, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't piece it together because there was every single reason in the world for me to feel like I was the most fortunate person in the world. I should have in my estimation because of everything that I'd been told, like if you work hard for 20 years worth of time and you achieve these things and you get access to these rooms and you get to be part of the Academy and whatever else, then you were going to feel this way. And I got there and I was like, I feel like I have climbed the wrong mountain. I like, I don't understand. Yeah. There's nothing here other than, you know, yes. Like financial security is like, it's priceless. Yeah. I, I, I had, I had things that I'd hoped for, but I wanted something that felt different. And so I was in therapy just to kind of understand like, what is this yearning longing that exists and how can I access it? And to be honest, it was in the absence of feeling the things that I would have hoped, why do I turn to coping mechanisms like booze to try and suppress the way that I'm feeling? Because that also doesn't help me actually grow. And it certainly isn't helping me be the kind of father I'd hope to or the kind of partner I'd hope to. And so I'd been in it, but certainly like I didn't go to counseling like, hey, I'm about to make a leap into something public. <laughs> yeah, Prepare yeah, yeah. me. I need a Batman belt real quick because <laughs> I'm going to have to I need a grappling hook that I yeah. can shoot out of a gun. Yeah. So I think that, I think what's interesting if we're piecing it together. So there's the rise. Well, I'm calling it that um, there's you go through the, the very public divorce, div like Normal, quiet divorce minus, minus any attention is very devastating and very difficult. I have a number of friends right now walking through that. It's devastating. Um, so then you add a layer of attention and I think it gets even more challenging. And then I felt like from my end, the pressure I would have felt in that moment, and you can say, John, I didn't feel that pressure at all. Or you can say, John, I felt that pressure is that on the back half of that, as you try to become Dave Hollis, the individual, the lone island, not no longer part of a very successful, you know, online team, informational team, educational team, whatever you want to call it. I would have felt the pressure to prove that I could do it on my own and would have put heaps of pressure on next book, new podcast. If I got a haircut, like I would have pressurized every situation until it became unmanageable. Yeah. And I did. Uh, and I'll add one uh, additional layer. Um, 
I was in the transition of my marriage, working through the feelings of rejection because it wasn't uh, it wasn't a thing that we'd been talking about for years worth of time. It was something that was very quick and uh, and was a thing that once the decision was made was not a like a, we weren't we weren't having any additional conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I give I will give Rachel a ton of credit in this respect as much as I really didn't like the idea of us not doing the work in counseling or having conversation to kind of understand even like all of the why behind the decision. Um, It allowed for us to transition into individual lives and allowed us Mm -hmm. to um, work on individual healing faster for that decision to, you know, kind of break as quickly as we did, even though it was super painful in the moment. But yeah, I mean, like, I had been a supporter of Rachel's business for nine years of time prior to moving to Texas. I then moved to Texas thinking that we're going to be in this business for the rest of time. I mean, the decision to leave mm-hmm. Disney was one that, you know, I if it weren't for an opportunity to come do something with Rachel, I just signed a contract in 2017 that mm-hmm. had me at Disney for the next four years. And so... This as a thing to give me air cover to leave that contract was maybe the only option that uh, allowed me an exit um, in a world where, yeah, I just I wasn't happy and I needed a change, but there wasn't a lot of options. And I was excited about this thing I was going to go do. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there was two years almost to the day of time between arriving in Texas and the conversation about divorce. And if I had known, uh, hey, we got two years of time on the clock, um, certainly the decision to leave would have been, you know, a different kind of conversation and probably one that we wouldn't have taken. So the pressure that I was putting on myself to figure out what life looked like post this thing I thought that would exist forever was exceptionally high and was something that feeling like I had to figure it out and certainly wanting to try and establish something of my own separate from us, um, the stakes just, you know, the stakes felt, the stakes Mm -hmm. felt high. And what's interesting too is, you know, again, I wouldn't change a thing that happened because man, I am so grateful for being exactly where I am right now. And I'm so grateful for the way that my relationship with Heidi created something in accelerated healing or at a minimum, you know, like it did, I think it did help in some healing, but it also was an extraordinary kind of change in mindset or change in confidence that allowed me to actually figure out how to pursue the book. I mean, I had to finish the book, but pursue the book and the podcast Mm -hmm. and the other things. The one thing uh, that I've, I've talked to her about, I've talked to anybody about is you know, I've looked for the divorce books that uh, recommend jumping into a relationship really quickly after yeah. divorce. Yeah. And I haven't found, I just haven't found the resource. I, I probably haven't looked hard enough, but. Yeah, uh, maybe that's it. Maybe there's a whole section of the bookstore that specializes in that. Yeah. Exactly. Speedy thing. transitions out of 16 year marriages. Um, yeah. And so the, like the thing that comes, you know, in, in not having had as much time is, Um, I didn't appreciate how much I hadn't processed, how much I hadn't confronted 
the things that had been present both in the marriage, but also the reaction to and feelings surrounding divorce. And so I- But you know, that's human, right? I mean, there's this whole, there's this, I forget who said it. It's from like the Desert Fathers or something about the idea that people are often tempted to paint a picture of a shipwreck that they don't even know they're still in. Mm. So you're still clinging to the shipwreck and you think you're on the shore and you're like, let me paint this. Let me go ahead and paint this because now I've learned some things from it. So like, that's superhuman, dude. Like it's like, I just, you know, for me, there's, there's things like that that I'm like, I get how that happens. Like I get, like, I get how that happens. So I don't, you know, yeah, I know you might say, okay, I, I didn't have time to grow. I didn't have time to heal. I a hundred percent, but I, I think you, that is also a, a human thing that ha- that happens very regularly after crisis or after trauma. Yeah. I mean, Again, I, I I am I'm so grateful again for the way that I experienced everything I did in 2020. You know, like leading into uh, even summer of 21, I felt like I'd man made so much progress in my mental health and in my in my emotional health and in certainly my physical health. I was I just I was in the best shape I'd been in for so long, but so much of the growth that I had experienced was a byproduct of running from the shadow of my marriage or trying to outrun some of the feelings that even if it lived in something of an unconscious state, I knew on some level was there. And it was like, you know what? I am going to show dot, dot, dot. I'll show Rachel. I'll show the internet. I'll show anyone. People that weren't even watching. People, like, I'll prove uh, the Dave who I thought, mean, okay, should I have not left Disney? I'll prove that Dave that I made the right decision. Like, dude, the list of shows was long. And I mean, all, so much of it came back to ego. You know, like I was whatever, whatever the kind of like inner child, little scared version of Dave that lives inside of me, he was on fire in this window and was orchestrating a chorus of if you can create enough, if you can do enough, if you can hustle enough, if you can, if you can, just a list of if you cans, then you'll be seen, you'll be, you, you'll feel, you'll, and the, the real answer that of course only ended up revealing itself in the aftermath of crash, burn, stop and work was to slow down and turn around and actually confront the stuff that hadn't been totally confronted or totally dealt with, right? Well, and that's the thing, like, as far as using that as a fuel, I I mean, my wife, Jenny, she said to me four years ago when I got my latest book deal, she was like, you're a jerk for the two years when you write a book and you're a jerk for the two years when you sell it. And that doesn't work. So that doesn't work for us. She said, I'd rather you be a happy plumber than a miserable writer. And what she was saying was that you're using crisis as fuel because a long time ago I went through a crisis and a counselor told me tools learned in crisis require crisis to be useful. Mm. And so I went, I went from, I can function in a crisis to I function uh, best in a crisis to I need a crisis to function and pain, trauma, whatever you want to call it is a great short-term temporary fuel. But so now we're like, it's, it's a year, you know, year and a half, you've got the book, you're growing the stuff. And like, you're still using that as the fuel. And again, like it'll let you accomplish some short-term stuff, but eventually 
Like it works right until it doesn't work. Yeah. And, and what I, and what the thing is, I, what I couldn't see, it's crazy. I mean, Heidi and I had a conversation on the last podcast about my reaction to my book, but I didn't know what I didn't know in triggers and what would inevitably become an undoing in a thing that had not been processed. But there, there was something in the release of a book. Like if you'd talked to me in September of 2021, I was flying high. I was so confident that I, I was- did talk to you and I would say, Hey, are you feeling any pressure to kind of, and you'd be like, what are you talking about? No I was pressure. at Let's your go. house recording a video <laughs> for the book that was going up on the stinking yeah. target wall. I like, I was so connected. I, I felt like so integrated in like, I know a purpose for life. I'm living it out. I love this work. It's good. And the pre-sale numbers for the book were all of a sudden something that triggered every single bit of self-doubt, every single bit of, is this actually the thing I should be doing? Mm -hmm. And in some ways, you know, Rachel and I had an interesting relationship in marriage where because she had created something in expertise and was so prolific in the work that she was doing, mm -hmm. my role inside of her world was something that, you know, I had to kind of wrestle with inside of our marriage, but that ultimately outside of our marriage was a thing that I uh, didn't think as much about when I was out to show that I could do it on my own. And as the audience, who obviously were completely different in the aftermath mm -hmm. of divorce, where, uh, yeah, we weren't doing live streams every day and a decent percentage of them justifiably were like, you know what? Go fly a kite. Thanks very much. But we're yeah. not interested in anymore. Thank you. Um, there was something that lived in the unprocessed stuff inside of our marriage that was now coming out in my reaction to not selling as many stinking books. Like what? A, I mean, I look at it now. I'm like, what a lame thing. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, I don't look at it as that. No, I don't. Dude, it's hard to write a book. It's hard to release a book in normal situations. That's a hard thing you were not in a normal situation. Like you were still in crisis. Like the crisis wasn't over. Yeah. So no, it wasn't like, it wasn't a lame thing. Like you can look up back on it as, as time goes by and go, it's a smaller piece of my story. I, I could have reacted differently, whatever, but it wasn't a lame thing because you were still in crisis. So like it was a big thing and a book launch regardless is a big thing. A publisher taking a shot on you is a big thing doing it minus like this person who's a supernova like that. I mean, like Rachel, you're right. Rachel's amazing at that. And she's really talented at that and works really hard at that. And so minus that person, um, you know, is like, it wasn't lame. Yeah. Like it was a big thing. Yeah. I think too, what's interesting definitely about this space of like self-help is I, in a window of time where I, I am, I'm so proud of that stinking book and I believe every single piece of advice that lives inside of it, I didn't follow a lot of it. I mean, like the humanness of me or the crisis state of me, uh, as much as I may have known the right and best thing, I still reverted to some primal instinct or some primal reaction that didn't have me doing some of the stuff that, man, I know I should have done. Um, when I started to struggle because I was in that mode of like, here's this book from this guy that you should buy a book from, 
I felt like I couldn't even confess that I was struggling. And so part of then what like becomes this really crazy, I mean, the insanity of the live that, you know, showed up in October, but like also that window begins in October, November, and December, where I was, I just, I went into a very, very dark place. And in the darkness, as is, uh, I'm sure, the prescribed recipe that you ought to always reach for, I went back to the coping mechanism that I historically have reached for in alcohol to not have to confront the way I felt in believing so much in the thing that I was you know, offering to people and being so still in struggle mode and in darkness mode and in, in a way unable to take my own advice that I, you know, I, I was now reverting to this, this version of myself that when I was by myself, I hated. And the, and the, and the critic in my head uh, was just merciless. And as it turns out, the uh, external voices of the uh, online crowd who uh, like to have a conversation about people, especially when uh, maybe they've been in the community and now feel disappointed by what sure. ended up happening, um, they were echoing things that I was thinking or maybe even were the uh, originators in some ways of the thoughts I was thinking. And that was, you know, ultimately it was like I got to January and I was just like, okay, uh, I, I can't have a yeah. year that continues this cycle. Uh, I've got to go take a break. I've got to go work on mental health. I need to have drinking be a thing that has gone from my life forever. And again, it's like, it's one of these things where I wouldn't have tried to put this sequence of events together in this order. I certainly, uh, man, I hope I never have to go through really hard things to learn really big lessons again, though. Knowing me, I definitely will. I doubt you're done learning. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm you definitely seem pretty young to me. Like, I don't like I would love to know, like, there I've made my mistakes, but I'm never like I don't feel like the prodigal son came home once. <laughs> like I've never made a mistake once. And I was like, oh, got that out of the way. That's good to check off the list. I'll never like if anything, the father had a warehouse full of banners that said welcome home. And there was a new one every day because I've never needed just one return home. <laughs> I you know, I, I, it feels like sometimes I need a lot of return homes. I think that the part of the challenge there is there's confirmation bias. So you're now like the negative thing you're thinking about yourself, you're going to find proof of it. Um, it's, you know, we can find it really quickly. It's really sticky. And then the other thing is that I think as a, it's a very human thing to, it's easy to hate an idea when you don't think that there's an individual. So like you, whatever level of attention you had, you'd become an idea. Like you were Dave Hollis, the idea. So it was easy to create content hating Dave Hollis, where if somebody knew you as an individual, that's the problem with the internet. The internet flattens people from 3D to 2D. And I can hate an idea all day. But in, if somebody was at your kid's little league game and said, what do you do? And he said, oh, I write books. And I'm, you know, and like, what are you working on? I'm, I'm, here's this thing I'm working on. They wouldn't say, well, I'd like to pick apart a video you made on Instagram and say some things about you. They, they wouldn't do that because yeah. you're an individual. Why would they? But because the internet makes us all ideas, I think that's really challenging. So it brings us to January and you have a chance to go do some hard work um, and walk, walk us through that process. Cause I think there's going to be other people listening to this that are like, okay, I, I relate to, I think the variations will be different. The expressions will be different. Um, 
but it can, you know, the divorce is certainly not uncommon. Um, you know, numbing, whether that's with shopping or alcohol or drugs or, or work addiction, whatever, everybody's numbed. So now you're at this moment where you're like, I can't fix me with me. Yep. I need some help. What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, there was a lot of shame. Number one, I just like, I hated the fact that I needed to get help and I needed to get help. Uh, I, I didn't like the fact that, uh, getting help was going to inconvenience every person that I care yeah. most about. And, uh, yeah, as it turns out, it absolutely is an inconvenience. Um, but I also knew that there were other times, like I could have dealt with drinking in a more final way than I had, than I, than I, I just could have, I could have dealt with it in a more significant, serious way. And I didn't. And this now as an opportunity, like, I don't want to delay this another day, even if it ends up being inconvenient. Um, And so I ended up making a decision and I was looking resource wise for something that could, um, that could cater to what felt like a two pronged thing. Hey, I am really struggling mental health wise. Like I, I'm having really dark and really like really dark thoughts. Um, but I'm also exacerbating them by drinking in ways that doesn't make me feel any better. And neither, um, are things that I want to have around much longer. So I, uh, end up finding a place that outpatient wise could help me tend to both. It was, uh, you know, like I, <laughs> I'd been through a year of sobriety leading up to the moment we got divorced, but you know, sobriety and recovery are just different things. Like I had not tended to the mental health stuff that had alcohol mm-hmm. presenting as a symptom of that unresolved trauma. Oh, okay. And the idea of potentially getting to the root of why I do the things I do, but also why I'm feeling the things I'm feeling and uh, kind of in your kind of language, changing some of the soundtracks that were running in my head um, felt like a good idea. And so uh, I, I chose a place that was in Los Angeles in part because I knew the person who operated the, uh, the, the treatment facility, but also because on the, on the door, it's like, hey, this is mental health and addiction. Uh, I said, yeah, great. Those are the two things that I am interested in actually nipping in the bud. And it was uh, singularly the, like the biggest and most important decision of my adult life. I, um, I just, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, it's also the beginning of a recovery journey that'll last for the rest of my life. It's the uh, um, beginning, the foundational layer of a mental health journey that I'll have to continue to tend to yeah. for the rest of my life. But there's something like I didn't understand at the beginning. Why are we spending eight weeks of time here? How could I possibly still have eight? We- How could I possibly have eight weeks of things to process? Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is just normalizing being in your thoughts and with people who are there to afford you a venue to express them for such mm-hmm. a long period of time that it just makes normal either being present with the things that you don't like to confront and realizing that you can survive them. And if you sit with them long enough, they will in fact afford you intel to understand why they're there and what they mean, or make it so normal for you to talk about the things that you're feeling that never again might you feel like you have to sit in isolation and keep this stuff bottled up. Um, I think one of the things too that it offered me, which is a God, one of the most beautiful gifts, every single time I walked into a room, that room of people said, come as you are, come as you are, 
tell us every single thing that is happening in your life. And not one single time did I feel like I had to hold any single piece of who I am back in a way that allowed me access to self-love for that part in a way that previously I'd either hidden it or put shame around it. And the like journey post-treatment has been, I'm going to continue to find relationships, rooms, be it meetings or other things where when I walk into that space, the invitation is come as you are. And so the like conversation, whether it's about social or anything else, as I'm thinking about what I do next, being able to maintain consistency with this is who I am, all of who I am. This is like, you know, the most, I, I, I think I've tried my best to trade in, uh, in transparency and something that feels as close to authenticity as possible. And yet I can say in the darkest of what was that October to December period last year, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't acknowledging the depths of every dimension of who I am. And 2022 for sure has been, here I am, all of who I am. Here's what I'm mm -hmm. feeling and here's what I'm thinking. And there's something in that honesty that has in it afforded me this chance to love even the parts of me that I wish weren't always present or to, to you know, honor some of what still needs to be worked on in a way that doesn't make me feel like shit for having it still as a part of my life. I think we always want a recovery time frame. Or we want, and why wouldn't you? Like, I don't want to be in hardness longer than I need to be. Like, I don't want to, you know, but it's still the idea of like, I met a 91 year old who had regrets and I was like, oh, so regrets don't go away at like 90. I was kind of hoping like at 80 anxiety, at 70 doubt, at 90 regret, like, like welcome to the human race. Like you, I hope I have different tools by the time I'm 91. I hope I have different tools by the time I'm 70 or 60 or whatever it is. But I think we're always, we're always in process. We're always in, in practice. So now we're, we're kind of current, you know, current day. So what's next? Like, that'd be the question. I think if somebody's listening to this and they go, I do, I like the stuff Dave Hollis creates. I, I like this book. Um, what's, what's next. And, you know, as we're, we're right in the middle of 2022, what did the next six months look like? Well, I, I mean, I came out of treatment with this hope and I, I acknowledge up front, there's a little privilege in even having this as an ambition. Um, I wanted to not say yes to anything new professionally for six months um, mm -hmm. because I appreciated that I have something inside of me that uh, has always had achievement as the path to love. If I can create, if I can achieve when I was valedictorian or if I got a job at Disney or- You were valedictorian? Uh, did I slip that in? Oh my god! Ego's still a thing, nice. brother. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but all of those things were driven out of something in programming early in my life that said, if you memorize the Bible verse or score the goal or get good grades, that is the way that you will be seen. And my interest, like any human's interest in love, has always been attached to achievement. And I didn't want to make some of the mistakes that I feel like I made out of divorce in yeah. trying to convince dot, 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 that I am worthy of their love by rushing out of what was the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful gift, completely, completely stepping away from life to see parts of myself that I'd never seen. 
And then I got about, you know, three or four weeks into it. And man, I had a bunch of to do things around the house. And I was like, okay, uh, this is going to lead to depression. I got to go actually do some things. So um, in the short term, I have been, uh, I I was trying to find a thing that I think I have something of a Liam Neeson special set of skills kind of gift around. I've talked to you about this, but um, I'm I'm trying to test if this ends up being a thing that might be an actual business in the future, but in a super safe beta testing kind of environment. Um, I've been uh, I've I've had a history in the last handful of years, whether it was Disney in the work I did with Rachel, even some of the stuff I've been able to do with Heidi lately of being something of an integrator, uh, an operational kind of person to someone who's a visionary. Like, hey, you cast a vision of what? Um, I problem solve or put puzzle pieces together in the how. And um, so I've, I've tried to find some opportunities inside of the nonprofit space to see if uh, there aren't some problems they're looking to solve and see if I might be able to lend some of my time, my service is as it were, and, um, and just see like, hey, is this a thing that actually lights me up? And so there's a couple of great organizations. I'll go ahead and name them right here so that you want to try and support them. Uh, one of them is a, a, a group that I've been, man, involved with for a long, long time as a four-time foster parent, National Angels. They do this amazing work for foster care. And uh, we're building out a five-year plan. Like, what would it look like to have the charters that come around families that have kids in care and ultimately keep some consistency with kids that have traditionally gone house to house with love boxes and mentors and things like that. Another organization is called the Lucky Few, and uh, they have a foundation called the Lucky Few Foundation. And they're doing the work of shouting the worth of people who are inside of that community, normalizing some of what it means to have Down syndrome, with the ambition of having every single person invited to the table. And my, like, yes, it's like lighting me up. If you ever feel lost, uh, find yourself in service. But there is some self-interest in I'm taking some of the models that I've previously used at Disney or at the Hollis Mm -hmm. Company, and I'm trying to see, like, what kind of problem-solving tools can be applied to the issues of scaling or the issues of trying to figure out something in a puzzle and uh, see what works so that maybe one day I be- it becomes a for-profit thing in a world where uh, this idea of uh, having a public-facing thing maybe isn't the thing I want to return to. I want to, at a minimum, test the waters to see if, uh, if, if for nothing else I can create some options. Um, I mean, I'm obviously still doing this stinking podcast, the, the John Acuff show. And so I yeah, appreciate Good luck with the next episode, by the way. It's going like, to be I feel so like we're hard really, to come the down. The bar is so high, dude. So- Even my intro, people are going to be like in the, re- in the reviews being like, I don't listen all the time, but man, that intro from John, whoever John Acuff is. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, not of a- the other thing, I mean, the only other thing that I'm, I, that I've really been spending time in or with is the the fitness challenges that Heidi and I have been doing. The, the most recent of them just started up. And there is something in the community that exists in this, uh, this, this group that is similar to the kind of experiences I've had in walking into a room and having every single one of them say, hey, come on in exactly as you are. Having a good day. We're going to celebrate you. You're having a tough day. We're going to be a soft landing and love you just as you are. And, uh, and so that's been rad too. But uh, I don't know. I think more than anything, 
I have uh, prepared more dinners. I have driven more kids. Like uh, I'm, yep. I'm trying to be as present to a parent as I can be, uh, still tending to mental health with plenty of therapy. Uh, you know, my 125 days of sobriety is a thing that's still, of course. When's the gonna... next chip? Do you get a chip at a, what is it, like six months? I think it's six, yeah, six months. Three months? Yeah, I think six months is, okay. the, uh, is the next. But like being, you know, conscientious of that as a focus, of course, is going to be a thing that I'm going to work on for the rest of time. And, um, and really, like my trip in to see you and have that dinner is something that has been one of the most beautiful parts about slowing down and focusing sure. on connection, because um, I don't know that we appreciate how much was lost in pandemic when it comes to in-person, in-the-eye connection. Um, I just, I have been on a spree of what I called uh, the Turo friends and uh, mm -hmm. buying people a dinner and uh, coming with zero agenda. Like truly, I just wanted to hang out and uh, be loved on by people that are filled with love, but also like hang out with people that are inspiring to me so that I might, uh, through osmosis, feel a little bit inspired and dang it, it worked, man. I like, I left that dinner and I was just hopping with uh, oh good with that, yeah so, that was super fun i and keep Annie texting you guys and, and you haven't texted back but um other than that it was like i'm that's kidding because i feel I'm, like i texted you today <laughs> hmm, that's odd i was like kidding. hey let's, let's plan this show hmm, interesting dave this has been a blast my first and definitely last because i'm very expensive um i want to <laughs> if anybody right now is going to listen to this and be like he should do my intro Nope. Super expensive. Um, I want to just put that out there. A lot of, a lot of money involved. I will be um, honest, John, the, like the, uh, true carrot of, uh, returning to social media, the only carrot potentially uh, <laughs> the John and Dave show. I, you I, know, like people ask me about that no, all the time. Nobody is asking for me to start writing posts again. Nobody is interested in <laughs> me to show pictures of anything else in my life, but man, the number of people asking about the John and Dave show, uh, yeah. there's tens and tens of them. It's unreal. People ask me about that. And they also will DM me and be like, thank you for being Dave's friend. Like they give, oh. they give me credit for it. I'm like, <laughs> and I, I always want to write back. It's very difficult, but I, I try. I try. Grandma always told me like, it's just so funny. But yeah, they ask about the John and Dave show or they act like I canceled it. And I'm like, my, I interviewed you on my podcast. All it takes is a goal. If you want to, if you're in the car already, you want to listen to the podcast, it'll plug there. And I interviewed you and it came out the week you quit the internet and you texted me and you're like, dude, this is the worst possible timing for you. Cause I can't promote it at all, but good luck with the rest of your podcast. And I was like, son of a, yeah, that's the timing. It was I so mean, good. Yeah. And we laughed about that. Like, so that's what I wanted today to be was that, Dave and I have funny off the record conversations all the time, but I still leave voicemails. By the way, it's garbage that people leave voice texts and then criticize voicemails. Like they're different. I still have to listen to you talk. So like that, that one is labeled as old fashioned and one is like new tech. Stop it. Stop it. You, you Gen Z's. That's not how it here's works. the thing. If I even look to see that I have a voicemail, it's something, something's gone sideways in the universe, a voice text. It's right in front of your face. You're the only yeah. person who I will check to make sure hasn't left a voicemail at the end of each week. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I like voicemails. The other thing, Dave, and you do this on your, now we're getting serious. Um, I don't like when people say the best way to get a hold of me is a text. Just be honest, say, don't call me 
for my convenience. It's not the best way for you. It's for me. Like it is a passive aggressive. I demand you accommodate my phone needs, but then we dress it up in this. Oh, I'm serving you the best way for you to get a hold of me. Just, I want somebody for once to be honest in their voice and be like, why did you call? Like, why are you just text? <laughs> like, what do you dude? You know, I'm right. I do. All right, Dave. Um, great podcast. Love talking to you. I'm sure we'll talk for a minute right after we stop recording, but um, I can't wait for you to be back. The John and Dave show. The first episode will be epic. I'll probably bring up Star Wars. because It's a good <laughs> go-to. It's a go-to. Air Bud. When does Air Bud get unfunny? He doesn't. Do you want to know one of, the, one of the one of the breakthroughs I had in therapy I, in uh, in treatment was my feelings about Star Wars stayed exactly the same. Nothing around Star Wars came up in treatment. <laughs> Stop. I was so excited for you to have a moment where I was like, this is a good therapist. I got to get this guy or gal's number if they're working on like sick. Clearly, it was going to be a father related issue because <laughs> of the Luke. I'm your father. I mean, everybody listening right now is like. Is this about Dave's? Is Dave's dad Darth Vader? He's not. Dave he's Senior. Guy make, he's a fine gentleman. Let's he's leave a him out of this. Can fix anything. Fix anything is what they say about Dave. All right. I fix love you, anything. John Acuff. All right. Love you too, buddy. All right. We'll see you next episode on the. What is this show called? Rise again from the ashes. John Acuff presents. Bye, guys. Well, before we go. Uh, I mentioned two organizations in the podcast that I am currently doing some work with, and uh, they both have reason for you to take notice and consider supporting them because of some cool things that are happening in each of their communities. May is Foster Care Awareness Month, and that means that National Angels is doing a whole bunch of stuff inside of this community that they love on all the time to really make even more of a difference. Uh, If you go to the link in the show notes, there's an opportunity for you to have your donation matched by me. Uh, I am uh, giving $25,000 and have offered to have a matching link for you, this audience. Uh, So if you can, if you're interested, if you'd like to help something that is super, super close to my heart, um, hit that link in the show notes. The other link is for the Lucky Few Foundation and the work that they're doing around this Down Syndrome community is so incredible and inspiring. Uh, This is Down Syndrome is uh, an activation that they are doing. They're taking the show on the road. There is a five city storytelling tour that is going to, in telling the stories of the people inside of each of these communities who have Down syndrome, um, do this work to try and change the narrative around what it means to be a person with Down syndrome. And uh, I'm going to be on some of these tour stops. I am super excited about it. But there also, again, is a link if you feel convicted to or called into supporting these organizations. Dang it. I would love to have your support. Hey, y'all. While I am taking a hiatus from social media, I'd still love to stay connected to you on the regular. If you head over to MrDaveHollis.com, I have an opportunity for us to become one-way pen pals. Yep, I'm going to be sending out regular updates, uh, stories, uh, observations, hopefully things that will also make you laugh or think. Uh, And I'd love to be able to do that on the reg. So if you uh, are so inclined, hit MrDaveHollis.com, drop in your email, 
and buckle on up. I love y'all. Thank you for all the continued support. Let's go.